Hey team of Eternal Optimists, it's Matt Rincon here. And before we launch into today's epic conversation, I've got a big announcement. Drum roll, please. My brand new book is coming out on March 8th. And perhaps even better news, you can get it for only 99 cents on Amazon that day. We don't run ads on the show. And if you ever want to give back and support the Eternal Optimist community, go to Amazon on March 8th and get the Kindle version for only 99 cents. Just search for the book title, The Eternal Optimist. It's never too late. And you can download it directly to your device. Now, let's get to the show. Tell me, Superman, where did that come from for you? What's the significance of Superman as your name right here? Yeah, yeah. So Superman became my name when I was just a little kid. My grandmother gave me that nickname because I was born with disability. And everyone said what I couldn't do. And she said, baby, you're Superman. You just got to deal with kryptonite for a while. And it was just the mindset of it. It was always telling me I was capable of doing anything. You're going to succeed. You're going to win. You can. Do, there are no limits for you. And you're so powerful. And so she would hype me up and even got me to do rehab by buying me the Hulk Hogan weight set. And so I'm working out and stuff like that. And I'm feeling all powerful. I'm listening to that cassette tape saying, eat your vitamins, say your prayers, brother. <laughs> you know, I'd lift weights for like two minutes, run over to grandma, feel my arms. And she's like, oh, you're so powerful. And then as I got older, this Superman thing just kind of stuck because of my grandmother, but then also my physique. I got to be 6'4", 260. And then now right now I'm like 2'4", 275. But, you know, just in size alone, people have always given me that nickname. So I just kind of grew into it. Heck yeah, man. Well, yeah. Team, that's awesome. I'm going to ask you about the challenges that you overcame in a second, but I just love that you had some disability and you framed it as a superpower. You framed it as something like that. I love it. I actually (laughs) love your grandma. Yeah. And what, man, that one tiny thing made such a huge impact in your life. I'm just so. Everything. Yeah. That's amazing. Now, listen, my whole life, man, I was this Superman, that, or whatever, you know. I've had people, I've worked with veterans and worked with people to keep them from taking their lives. I've worked with amputees. I mean, I probably am face-to-face with more amputees than anyone in America because I see at least 130 a month, brand new amputees at the time. I go to the hospitals every single day. If I'm not traveling, speaking, or even if I arrive in a city, they'll come out in droves if I mention I'm going to be there. In fact, right behind me now, you're about to see, that's a Superman portrait of me that was painted and made by an amputee's family because of the work that I did with them. And so Superman is more of a mantra. It's a standard of living and impact to make. And then I went from being a Superman figurine, known for that, to the last year when Marvel made the cartoon character of me. And so now I'm my own superhero. Now, the character's name is Joyful James. So it's a nonviolent, anti-bullying figure. But it's the only one, only cartoon character that wears a hat. And it's the only cartoon character that is nonviolent and all those things. Man, it's going to be beautiful, man. Oh, man. So many things to unpack. Let's go back to first when you said that there were some challenges, some physical challenges growing up. Can you elaborate a little bit for us? What are some of those challenges that you felt from a young age that you have either endured, overcome, or learned to use as your superpower? 
Well, Matt, I was born with an issue that they didn't know how to diagnose initially. I had 33 surgeries before I was 11, and we never knew what was leading to them. It was just, let's try this, let's try that. So I was a guinea pig for many years. Then finally, when I was 11, they amputated my right leg. I hadn't been able to take walks or run or do anything like other kids until after I started walking with a prosthetic. So by the time I was 12, I was just catching up to the motor skills that everyone else had mastered throughout the course of their life. Upper body, straight. But when it came to walking, I didn't really take my first steps unassisted until I was 11. Wow. Wow. What was that like as a kid growing up with well, an amputated leg first and not be able to walk until 11? Must have been tough. So for me, there was two sides of that coin. There was one side where it forced me to sit around my grandmother and older people on the porch. So I got to learn from them and got wisdom. On the other side of the coin, there was the challenge of watching everyone else, other kids do things and not being able to participate. And so I felt isolated at times. But what I gained in wisdom, learning from them, the vocabulary, the stories, and how to tell a story, all of that ended up being training for who I am today. Amazing. Amazing. So 33 surgeries up until the age of 11, and then you're now walking, learning to walk. James, what happened next? Well, I wanted to prove people wrong. One of the biggest ones was my mother, right? Because she had said, boy, you're a cripple. You have to learn to use your mind. She had accepted some limitations from me that, based upon my history, would have made sense in her mind. I could see that. But that wasn't my destiny. So I wanted to go ahead and play basketball because that would be the one thing that Indiana was known for, other kids were known for. And I wanted to prove that if I could play with those kids, if I could beat them, if I could defeat them in that, then I would be fully accepted. So I was looking for validation. So I went immediately into playing sports and had to prove myself. Getting cut year after year, I would just go back and work on whatever they told me they cut me for. I'm coming back bigger, stronger, and uh, more defiant until I finally ended up getting a basketball scholarship to go to college. I earned that with one leg. Whew, fantastic. Fantastic. What was that moment like when you made the team for the first time after being cut year after year? Just making the team, what was that moment like? Let me tell you, for me, it was really emotional. I played with anger. I never played any game without first envisioning the person that I was against was the person who not only took my leg without telling me they were going to, I envisioned them as a person who attacked my family, the person that was stopping me from all my dreams. And so it was impossible for me to be kind on the court. I was very, very physical and I used a lot of intimidation because I was always strong. I could overpower guys and use intimidation to make up for lack of some of the mobility initially. And so making it for me was about proving that I'm human, proving that I belong. The problem I learned though, Matt, is that anger doesn't just show itself on the outside. It eats up on the inside because I wasn't able to live and to truly enjoy a moment. I needed them to somehow acknowledge that I wasn't a cripple, and they never did. And since validation wasn't coming from the outside, the chip on my shoulder was just getting heavier. Mm -hmm. Well, so you made the team. At this moment when you're making the team, uh, was this your junior year, senior year, high school? This is junior year, high school. Junior year. 
make the team. Basketball scholarship comes a year later. Right. What was that moment like when you got the offer from the school? Well, I didn't tell them I was an amputee. They didn't know until after I arrived on campus. So, yeah, yeah, I was able to. Nice. Remember in the 90s, we had long shorts and you could wear sleeves like Jordan did on the knee and high top socks, you know. And I had learned to mimic the movements of able-bodied people. And back then, VHS tapes, you send them in. Coaches would make an offer, come meet you. Never know. And I could move my walk without it being noticeable. So for me, to my making it, getting that scholarship, for me, I just wanted to prove to the coach, to everyone that had ever cut me, everyone made the team, I ever got minutes in front of me, anyone that ever tried to wear my jersey number. I was like, man, I am not a cripple. I am not handicapped. You can't stop me. It was really all about proving them wrong. I learned how to enter beast mode. I just didn't know how to be nice. Yeah. Tell us about your journey with that, your journey with anger, because you don't appear right now to have anger uh, yeah, no, at this exact anymore. moment. No. Talk to me about no. that transition from anger to wherever we go to next. So I remember, so I get on the campus, and there was a senior who was wearing my jersey number, and the coach had told me that I would be able to get it. But there's a senior wearing number 44. I said, Coach, he's wearing my jersey. He said, well, he's a senior. Senior's got first option. You'll get it next year. And I was like, no, no, no. I'm like destroying this kid. I'm running him over, elbow him in the face, whatever. It didn't matter. I was like, until you take that jersey off, man. I'm not. And one day the coach was like, James, you could really help us. He said, man, your tenacity is phenomenal. Your ability to bring intensity is phenomenal. But you are intimidating the guys who need to trust you. You see, they can't trust you as long as you hate them. And he was like, you got to let them know that they can trust you. Allow them to love you. I was like, I only know one mode, coach. And I've got to go against everybody as an enemy. I cannot, I'm not going to shake hands. I'm not going to be nice. I'm going to run people over. I'm going to foul them hard. Coach, whatever it takes, I got to set my dominance. He said, fear or respect, which one do you want? He said, fear, they can fear you. He said, but if you want them to respect you, you're going to have to show them that you can love them. And so I went back to my room and I was like, man, but if I let go of that fear, if I don't allow them to fear me, will I be the same? You see what I mean? Will they accept me? Will they see me as limited? The moment that I decided I'm going to trust that, instead of knocking them over, I'll help them get up. Instead of trying to dominate them, I would dominate for them. And so the switch was, now you can rely on me rather than be scared of me. Wow. What great advice from a coach. And you took that back and processed that as a freshman. (laughs) At the age of 18, you figured that out, that lesson. Absolutely. Man, it was emotional. But, man, I wish I could tell you, I mean, letting go of that, when anger is all I ever knew. I wanted to prove everybody wrong. Letting go of that was a very emotional moment because I was like, if I don't have that anger, what do I have? To me, it was the thing that fueled me. I mean, I was never nice. If you think of the dirtiest Detroit Piston player, think think of how nasty they were. Rick Mahorn. Take those guys and combine that, turn that up a notch. I'm knocking teeth out. I'm running you over. I'm going to do all those things. I'm going to get away with whatever they allow me to get away with, right? I got fouls to waste. And once I set that tone, people just back off and you start dominating. I average over 15 rebounds a game. But I also averaged over 15 points a game as a freshman. When I switched it from where they could trust me, 
they could trust that I would go to war for them. You know, I can remember my true leadership was when, as a freshman, I was able to get the guys to let me be captain because they could trust me. You know, I would go to my seniors, I'd look them in the eye, and I was like, I'm not going to waste your year. I'm going to give you everything I have. I'm going to give you every ounce of me, man. When you leave here, and if we lose, I'm going to cry with you, man. If I let you down, you know, I so said, you can count on me in the trenches, man. I got your back. If somebody knocks you over, I got them. Don't worry about that. Sit in my way. I got to pick for them. And everything is about developing those leadership skills. Man. Well, I moved just listening to it here. I want to get to Joyful James. I want to move forward in the, yeah. in the timeline and get to that. I'm just so yeah. enthralled. I'm loving the story, James. You're so real and authentic. Any listener hearing this right now, there's been so many nuggets of wisdom already. The thing that really stands out for me is just the ability to hear from a mentor or coach and see that anger is not going to help me get what I want most. And be able to process that at that young age and then make that switch so quickly. That's just phenomenal, phenomenal adaptability. I wanted to point that out because that's something that really sticks to me so far. So I'm wondering, James, if you can share with us, basketball continues throughout your career right there. Take us forward to the next chapter in your life. What happens after that freshman year? Take us from there, please. Man, I tell you what, this is going to be unique to you because I never talked about this. A guy named E. Robert Jordan came to speak at a college. He was a great speaker from Pennsylvania, a little short guy. And I came to chapel. It was Christian school. So we have chapel where different guys come in to speak, encourage, motivate. And there was no seats left in the back of the room. So I had to sit up front when I came in. So I sit up front and this Dr. Jordan looks at me and he said, James, the black community is lacking leadership. He said, there's the lowest number of fathers in the community. You have the lowest economics. Let me ask you, what are you going to do to change that? So now we're in front of 8,000 people, man, in the chapel. So I don't know what he wants me to say, but he asked this question. I thought it was like rhetorical, but no, he's waiting on a response. And I said, I'm going to be a basketball coach. And uh, he goes, so you think. Being a basketball coach is going to change your whole culture. So I'm like, ah, that sounds inadequate right about now. But yeah, that was the game plan. And he said, there is something about you so unique, so much bigger than that. He said, when you figure out what your calling is, you'll change everything. And I'm like, yeah, okay. So that felt <laughs> awkward. You know, like, wow. I feel, and the people are patting me on the back like, man, he really believes in you. You can... And I'm like, yeah, that was real awkward, man. I think he just told me I have to pick up the entire race. You know, that's a lot of work. That night he came to my dorm room and knocked and said, hey, I want to offer you to come spend the summer with me. He had a large church, large following, great organization. And he said, I want to teach you some leadership stuff. I want you to spend the summer with me. He said, I'll cover your next semester expenses. I said, I got a scholarship. He said, but there are other expenses. I will pay you for the summer. I want you to come. The first thing he did was have me clean toilets in a suit. I was <laughs> like, what is this about? And he said, a leader must be willing to get dirty. A leader doesn't have the luxury of worrying about what he has. He must take care of the small things so that when people come, he doesn't act too good for them 
and, and there's nothing he can direct someone else to do that he himself is not willing to do, no matter what he's dressed with. Everything was about coaching, mentoring, and I switched from focused on sports to working in ministry and working with people. So that's my next step. That mentorship with Dr. Jordan was, we spent the entire summer whether I was working in nursing homes, uh, speaking in courage or bus routes and inviting kids and speaking, everything in my life is developing me to now. I just didn't see it until you look back. Mm. Amazing. Amazing how that one chance that there's no seats and now you're sitting yeah. in the front row, that one oh, yeah. you know, mystical divine coincidence, call it what you will, <laughs> faithful intervention, and yeah, look yeah. at what happened as a result. Amazing, amazing. And is Dr. Jordan, is he still living? Is he still no, with us? No, he's not. Yeah, he's not. But I mean, in my life, I have so many milestone moments like that. There are many hands behind my back to push me forward. Yeah. Amazing how a power of a mentor is someone that can help, teach, guide, develop, and you were open to it. Amazing how that interaction, that relationship. I have a number of mentors myself and in mentoring people too, and just those relationships are so transformative. What might be one more really important relationship that's had a big influence on you in your life, James? Well, you know, I started off, it was my grandmother, then it was Coach Johnson, and then we go to E. Robert Jordan. After that, I can remember going to, you ever heard of the Brooklyn Tabernacle Choir? Yes, yes. Yeah, so I went to an event in Syracuse, New York, and I'm sitting in the back, and Calvin Hunt is the lead singer. And all of a sudden, as he's singing, now I'm in a primarily white congregation, he stops and he goes, you, come here for a moment. And he <laughs> said, I don't know who you are, but God's got big things for you, man. And da, da 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 after the concert, I want to talk to you. So he's like, man, I just want to pray with you. I just believe God's got great things for you. And I'm like, yeah, this is weird. You know, he probably says it all the time. His wife said, Calvin never does this, you know. He, and he's like, you're going to go through a lot of stuff, man, to, to get it out of you. But God's going to use you greatly. So i like, oh, okay. You know, I mean, I just thought it was just kind of a stick thing, right? So fast forward 2009. I'm in Atlanta, and a pastor invited me to a service. There's 25,000 people there. And he says, man, I feel compelled to tell you something. He said, I just feel like God has a great plan for you. I believe he's called you to a particular group of people to do a trip. I'm using these religious connotations, but they're actual things that happen. But everyone can sometimes see your potential before you do. But until you can see that you're just spinning your wheels without a mentor, you need direction. Along the way, people will give you clues, you'll have hints of it. But until you get a mentor, until you get the right coaching to pull it out of you, all of that potential is also potential to fail. And potential to fail will lead to regret. And that regret, man, will be a definition of your life. You gotta find, what am I here for? What are my skill sets and how do I master them? Mm. So, Calvin, great impact there as a mentor in your life. You mentioned one more, so I'd love to ask you about that one more mentor in your life. Who was that other person, James, you mentioned? That was a pastor in Atlanta, Georgia, man. We had a good relationship that formulated out of it. He passed away as well. Today, the things that I am doing, from my grandmother, from Coach Johnson to E. Robert Jordan to Calvin Hunt to the pastor— that was there in Atlanta, 
Each one of these guys placed their hands behind me and were pushing me forward. And along the way, you just realize that that's cultivating and encouraging. I highlight the encouragers, but I think, Matt, you know as well, there are people who were critical of me that were just as influential that you need to provoke you to continue to grow as well. It's not just the highlights of life and everyone telling you, you can be great. It's the people that challenged your personality at work or whatever that caused you to develop the character. How am I going to respond to adversity? What do I do when they don't like me or they have a misperception of me? How do I handle when there's a leader in place that gets jealous or insecure about your arrival? You have to manage up until you're in the up position. That's a great question. I wonder how you've dealt with that in the number of speeches you've given and the work that you've done. How have you dealt with it when there were skeptics or people that had uh, a pessimistic view? I mean, how do you deal with that? Matt, I think you're going to love this. My second speech, my first time I spoke in a professional fashion, there was about six people in the room, but all six was like C-level people. And I was just invited. I was dropping off a pair of shoes to one of the guys because I was modeling Under Armour, and he had asked for a pair. So I got him a pair of the rock shoes before they came out. So that's how I got all the banners here in the house and stuff like that. So I said, I'm going to go ahead and get you a pair. And I've dropped them off. And he said, hey, you got a few minutes. I'm like, yeah, my team is here. Can you say something to them? So I jump on. I go in this room and I challenge them. I encourage them. They're in tears. They invite me to come along (laughs) to speak to their national event. I have no idea how big this thing was going to be. When they said national, I thought, you know, if it's only six of them, right? And I didn't know their position. I didn't realize it would be an international company, thousands of people there. And that was my first gig Ooh. six weeks later. Whoa. So when I arrived, <laughs> yeah, so when I arrived, they are talking about the keynote speaker. There was another speaker there. And the guy who invited me says to the speaker, hey, you may want to go before James. And I could hear them say, why would I go before a neophyte? I think she could. Whatever it was, he was using all kind of derogatory <laughs> terms. Like, <laughs> she was like, I am trained. I'm a best-selling. I'm this. I've done. She went out down her resume and mine paled in comparison. I could see she felt truly disrespected. So here's what I did. I was like, when I go up, I'm about to set this place on fire, brother. You know, I heard what she had to say. She was like, send the kid in first. So I go up, man, and I give everything that's in me. And what I mean, I'm talking about, I drain my soul for them. And when I left that stage, man, she goes, I'm not speaking today. The keynote refused to go. Is there any way you can switch me to tomorrow? I'm not going to follow. And then ask me to coach her. She's like, but you cannot beat authentic outpouring from a person. I don't speak from theory. I speak from what I've been through. Everything that I've been through in my life has caused me to see every scenario. I've seen it all. I've seen everything from murder to death to suicide to you name it. All of those experiences have cultivated me into the person I am now. And I had to be rooted and grounded in something deeper than ego. So her contingent was that I was a neophyte. I was only new to her. I wasn't new to this. Mm. Wow. Well, great story, James. 
<laughs> I'm over here thinking, man, that must have been very difficult for that keynote speaker to go after oh, you. There's no way. I, I said, Mental note listen, here. Don't speak after James. <laughs> yeah. Listen, I man, it's happened many times, but I'm going to tell you the difference. You won't get insecure if you're speaking from something that's authentic in you. But when you go on autopilot and you just walk in, ladies and gentlemen, I have traveled, da, da, da. And I was at Phil Jackson's house. And I was. And when you get into this thing and there's no emotion, there's no passion, you don't love what you do. You love getting paid. It shows up. Yeah, mm. It shows well, up. I feel that flowing through you. I'm curious because people out there, they look at people who are successful or who are great speakers and they think, ah, it's easy for James to get up there on stage and to do his thing. It must be really easy in his world. They don't realize that we're going 100 miles an hour underneath the waterline here like ducks. And I'm curious for you nowadays, what's a challenge for you or what are you overcoming now in your world? Well, I'm navigating opportunities, going where Absolutely. I'm needed, right? There are situations where, for example, I was asked to go to a place to speak, and they had maybe booked me about six months ago. And when they booked me, I said yes, you know, because of the cause. And they didn't cover the flight. They didn't cover my room. They didn't cover anything. So I found out they charged $500 a ticket for people to get there. But they told me we have nothing. We're so poor. And so they oh, sold man. out. So I get there. In spite of what the organizers did, I still had to come serve those people. You understand? I had to honor my obligation, no matter what. There's been times where they've told me that have a certain size crowd or whatever, you get there and it's not there. It doesn't matter. I'm given the same energy, same love when there's 17 people or whether there's thousands. So for me, it is to go from ups and downs without losing enthusiasm. It doesn't matter. If I arrive there and it's not what we expected, doesn't matter. And the truth is now on social media, a picture frames it all. You take a picture with someone and you see the joy in their face, that's more powerful than you standing in front of 10,000 and all you can see is the back of their heads. Awesome. Awesome. Well, I'm curious now, what is it that is your message you want to get out there or your social media? I want to promote you and sing you from the top of a mountain, my friend. So let's talk about what you're adding to the world. You've already added so much value to our listeners. So how do we find you? How do we connect with you? Just help us find out more about your mission and cause now, James. Well, Matt, man, first of all, man, I love who you are. You're authentic. I love what you bring into the marketplace. And I'm not just talking about from a voice. I'm talking about from the heart to heart. You know, what you're doing and you're helping develop leaders. The one thing we're short of now is leaders and people who are willing to be accountable, to be developed. And what you're doing, man, you make a hell of a difference. And I want to thank you for that. We're not just doing a talk, man. We're talking brother to brother, heart to heart now. Amen. That's right. So if you're asking how to find me, man, I'm not hard to find. If you type in James Dixon Superman, I pop up. My Instagram is Superman is the number four real. And man, I've got some major things that are happening. And so it really won't be hard to find me. YouTube is simply absolute motivation. That phrase there says it all. Man, I'm not good at talking about being a speaker because I don't really feel like I am one. I've got a cause and I feel like I'm on limited time. I started so late because I had so much I was afraid of. I didn't wear shorts until I was 45 years of age without feeling insecure. 
10 months ago, I was working in a factory and I walked out of that job and stepped out and said, man, I got to go use my gifts, my talents. Otherwise, they would die with me. So I've been traveling, man, and everywhere I've gone, new things, new opportunities just keep arising. My success, man, to many will seem like it's overnight. But for me, man, it's been in my head and my heart and my dreams every night since the day I lost my leg. I wanted to be more so I could serve more. If you're asking how to find me, I'm here. The message I have is that you can overcome. But whatever you have to face, it also has to face you. And if you want to become something, you got to go through something. Mm. Man, I love you, brother. You've already inspired me in this discussion yeah, today. I don't even know. Do I call Thanks, this a yeah. discussion? I don't think it's a discussion. This is this is a pouring of your soul into our audience, into us. And I appreciate and respect the hell out of you for it. Thank you Thanks, for everything you shared. I appreciate it. Genuinely, this has been amazing. Just to hear your voice. By the way, you have the most amazing voice. Like this is this is a voice we need to have more in our hearts and minds, my friends out there. So I'm curious. Through all your years, did you ever have a singing part in any of these choirs? Any of this? Because this voice is very memorable. Matt, well, I'm gonna. Yes. Not only do we have one, but I create songs at the end of my speeches, and I leave that place with songs that are just for that audience. Wherever I'm going, I have a closing song. So I use that. If I've got time, I've a lot for it. And it is really encouraging. It's called Anything's Possible. And I'll send you, make sure you text me your email address. I'm going to send you a copy of what I'm preparing for Chattanooga, where I'm headed next. Awesome. Awesome. And I don't know if this is right or wrong. I'll throw it out there. Is there a possibility that we might get a song before we wrap up today, I don't no, know if you do it uh, not on at show. All. No, <laughs> no, not at all. You're gonna get. I'm gonna send you one, and you can hear it. Or come okay. live, brother. I leave something. I promise you, it's not the same as being able to be live, and you can see. Man, it's really from the soul. It's really from understood. The heart, you know? Love it, and I'm going to take whatever it is that we have and put it in our show notes to sing it from the top of a mountain because I'm already a fan. It was. It's easy to be a fan of someone who speaks so authentically and who shares these heart-centered values. So I love this. I want to go back to the very beginning. We talked about, let me get my notes here, Joyful James, the non-violent, yeah. non-bullying superhero. Can you talk That's to us it. a little bit about Joyful James? <laughs> so I was on Instagram. A guy found me that was a cartoonist. Uh, he works for DC and then he went to Marvel. And anyway, they reached out to me and said, they would like to frame a superhero team, and it was four amputees from different parts of the world, upper extremity and lower extremity. They wanted to show kids inclusiveness and all. And since I had done all of this powerlifting, my combined lift is 1620. That's push-pull, deadlift, squat, bench press. And I have by far blown away any expectation as an amputee. In fact, I never even viewed myself as to say, but I've only competed against able-bodied people. It always felt unfair if I went against someone that wasn't. So I went through those experiences, developing that type of power throughout the course of life. They see that and decided to make a cartoon character, but they were trying to capture my personality. And so the word joyful comes from how they see me because joy is different from enthusiasm. Joy is the thing that you maintain. It's internal. It is a thing that radiates from you. And so Joyful James, I think, is a greater tribute 
then it's not it doesn't sound tight. It doesn't sound tough. Like if they're like Thanos is killing the world. Who do we put him up against? Send out joyful James. You know, I show up and I'm like, hey, guy, you don't have to be that way. You're better than that. Give me a hug. You know, I don't want that. I wanted, I was like, go kill him. But that's not what they did. That's a good, that's a good thing, man. That's a real good thing. So. That's fair. Well, in a real life superhero scenario, the real life superhero is the person that could bring someone back from a place where they are really low and help them to get on the path. And that's the way I feel, the way I'm taking our discussion in. I feel that you offer that. You're offering that to me and our listeners right now. I'm feeling it. I'm feeling it. I'd love to get a copy of that, or I'd love to get a picture of the Joyful James and even put that up on our website yeah, and share the Joyful James. Yeah, I'll email that to you as well. That'd be great. Yeah, I'd love to share that. I'd love to take us into our lightning round, where I've got a couple of questions I'd love to finish with in our guests. So one of the questions is, when you hear the phrase eternal optimism, what might that mean to you, eternal optimism, James? For me, man, that is my faith, that everything that I'm working towards is part of a bigger plan than me, that every step that I'm taking is ordered, and that there are lives that I'm supposed to touch and leave an impact on that will last and echo long beyond my lifetime. Amazing. James, if there's one or two books or reads of some kind that have had an impact in your life, what might be one or two of those books or anything you've read that's impacted you? One of them is Three Feet from Gold by Greg Reed. And that's just not a plug because he's my guy. He sent that to me when I didn't even know who he was. And when I read that, I could see, man, many of the things that I was just steps away from it. I just got to dig the right way. A month later, my whole life changed. So that's one. Another one is Colin's book, Good to Great. For me, the idea of settling for good when you were called to be great, I can't do. I can't sleep at night being mediocre. If I didn't hit the gym, if I gave it half the effort, if I didn't communicate, if I didn't return a call or text to a person in a timely fashion or something, I don't want to be good. Love it. Love it. Thank you. If there is a song or a movie, something that inspires you, uplifts you, gives you energy, what might that song or movie be for you, James? Oh, man, you're going to love this one. When I'm in my gym mode, it might be 300. And uh, yeah. like Leonidas, you know, but if I'm in any other mode, let's say with the family, I would say a movie that inspires me would be Man on Fire, all right, with Denzel. And it's the idea, there's so many lessons, but I'm going to give you one that'll stick with you that you can use as an illustration. The little girl is at the swimming pool. She's the fastest when she gets in the water, but she always has a bad start. And so Denzel plays a character called Creasy, and he tells her, listen, your only problem is that you keep having a struggle with a bad start. If you can never get over how things start, you will become a champion. Most people live their lives with a struggle or trauma because of something that happened in their infancy or childhood, a bad start. But if you can never process that thing right and realize the sound of the gun that went off wasn't to traumatize you, but that was to prepare you. Any battle that you are facing was never greater than what you are, but it specifically trained you for such a time as this. And the great thing about it is whatever trauma you went through, you survived. Stop being afraid of the bad start. Use it. 
Awesome. Awesome. Absolutely amazing, my friend. This has been a captivating conversation, and I love you for it. I respect you for it, and this has been amazing. Thank you for everything today, James. Yo, Matt, thank you for letting me on, brother.